it's because of that book that I've been able to build the business that I have today. That book also taught me that reality is negotiable and you can design something that's uniquely fulfilling to you. I love that book. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Today on this show, we have a little bit of a different guest. We have Nick Hutchinson, who has an amazing, awesome podcast and huge social media following for book thinkers. And he has recently come out with his own new book that we are going to talk about today that I can't wait to dive into and go into so many detailed information about this that he is going to tell us about. So what I want to start with, because I know a lot of people want to understand like an alternative career. That's what we talk about on the show a lot. Give me a little bit of background about you, Nick, and how you got to where you are today, which is totally a different kind of alternative you know, career and job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity, Crystal. And hopefully we can provide some interesting info to your audience today. So what might surprise anybody that could see my video is that when I was growing up, I was not much of a reader, despite the 1000 plus books behind me on my shelves today. And when I was growing up, I was sort of more of the athlete stereotype, not much of the academic. I played football, I wrestled, was not a great student. You, you really couldn't even pay me to do my homework growing up. And that behavior and attitude sort of carried throughout most of my college experience as well. But when I was heading into my senior year of college, I took an internship at a local software company. And where I was staying that summer, I had about a one hour commute each way. And my boss, Kyle, very early into that internship experience, he said, hey, listen, man, you're capable of doing a lot more than you're doing today. Uh, I think you could be pretty good at this job, but you have to start investing in yourself. And he said something along the lines of listening to the same playlist or the same radio station on the way into work for the 1000th time, it's not going to get you closer to where you want to be in life, but the right podcast might. So I started listening to a lot of shows. Again, I was commuting an hour there, an hour back, five days a week. So I was probably listening to 10 or 15 podcast interviews per week. Uh, and the shows were kind of like this. Somebody would interview a guest. The guest would talk about what they did to become successful. And I just started to digest so much of that information. And what I thought was really interesting was that so many of these successful guests, right, the people that I wanted to be like, they were giving at least some credit for their success to the books that they were reading. And so I decided to go to a local Barnes & Noble bookstore pick up about 10 books and the rest is history. Um, so kind of fast forward until today to give everybody some context. I have a digital marketing agency that helps nonfiction authors promote and market their books. I have 10 people on my team. I also have a podcast where I've interviewed so many of my favorite authors. And uh, we have the social media community. We do about a million impressions a month. And so I did not expect to be here. If you would have asked me what I wanted to do when I was younger, I probably would have said, play in the NFL or play sports. Never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. 
especially not in the book space. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit of a different career. We could talk a little bit more about how I got into it, monetized it, and built the company if you want, but that's sort of like the the framework right there. Yeah, well, and what I love hearing in that story is one of the things that I talk to people about routinely is the way a mentor, whether it's somebody you engage as a coach, whether it's somebody in your family, whether it's somebody at your job, gave you some insights and some feedback and took, even if it was just five minutes, took the time to notice something about you, share it. And that kind of had a huge ripple effect, you know, fork in the road to a totally different you know, route in your life that you otherwise wouldn't go. And so twofold, I always encourage people to find somebody that, you know, aligns with them that may give them some feedback, good, bad, or ugly. And then secondly, if you're in a position of power or leadership to also take the time to pour back into those around you, because even those little small things like that can have such a huge difference. And I think that you're a shining beacon of that. I'm sure that your uh, boss never imagine what his little bit of guidance would do for you. Yeah. Yeah. When you have somebody else in your corner, celebrating your wins, encouraging you to do more, holding you accountable to it, uh, magical things can happen. So yeah, I'm sure he had no idea what sort of uh, person he was helping to unleash, but I'm so happy that he encouraged me to check out those shows and led by example, really. Um, so yeah, here we are a number of years later. And just like you're talking about, I think it's important to pour back into people. I remember seeing a video once where Ty Lopez of all people, he's an internet, internet marketer. Not everybody loves him, but he has some good advice. He, he talked about something called the rule of 33%. He said 33% of your time should be spent with mentors. These are people who have done what you want to do in life and they've helped other people get there. And you should spend time with them. Now, that can't always happen in like a one-to-one coaching relationship. Sometimes you need to read books about them or listen to podcasts that they're being interviewed on, but those people still count as mentors. And then he said, you should spend 33% of your time with your peers. These are people who can hold you accountable on a day-to-day basis. They're sort of fighting the same fight that you're fighting. These would be the people that you want in your corner or to start a business with or to have an accountability group with. And then he said, 33% of your time should be spent mentoring others because that does help you refresh the fundamentals. When you teach something, you can retain it really, really, really well. And it forces you to simplify what you've learned so that you can repeat it to other people. And so I've spent a lot of time through book reviews and podcasting, trying to teach people what I've learned for two reasons. Again, because it does help other people and I try to be of service to my community and help connect people with the books that can change their lives, but also selfishly because it helps strengthen the relationship I have to the information that I'm teaching. That's amazing. So leaning into that, the the second part of the 33% rule, surrounding yourself with peers. When you were shifting gears and really starting to hone in on reading, development, and you know what avenues that might open up for you, how did you position yourself around peers that were like-minded and you know might help you progress in an entrepreneurial journey? That's a great question. When I was in my late teens and early 20s, I had a large friend group at college. But what I started to realize as I started to identify as a reader, a lifelong learner, somebody who was into personal development and business and entrepreneurship was that most of those people that I was surrounding myself with, they weren't interested in the same things. And I think what I did 
wrong or poorly back then was I tried to force everybody to fit my narrative for life. I'm like, how exciting is this? Let's all jump in. Let's all read the same books. Let's all try to implement this information. Let's work instead of party. Like let's, let's make something of ourselves. And what I realized was that that probably did more damage than good for most of those relationships. Instead, I wanted to surround myself with people who are already in that headspace. I think that that would have been a little bit easier. And so how did I find those people? Most of them were online. They were through social media. As I started posting about the books I was reading and getting into the comment section of my favorite influencers, I found a lot of other people like that. And so today when I'm talking about building an accountability group and surrounding yourself with the people that you'd like to be like, Those people might not be local. They might not be within your friend group. But let's say you're somebody who enjoys Lewis Howes, for instance, podcaster, author, social media creator, and you're in his comment section and he's posting about his book and there's a thousand comments. If you DM a few people and you say, hey, I'm also reading this book, would you be open to jumping on a quick Zoom call and talking about your favorite takeaways? I mean, if you're in the right community and you're following the right people, you're sort of filtering out anybody that would even say no. I mean, I'd say yes, right? And so I think that that's one kind of fun and creative way that you can get in front of the right people. And that's something that I wish I did instead of force my friends uh, to study stuff that they really weren't interested in. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome because I think that's where a lot of people struggle is that they think that where they are and what they're doing is not necessarily what they're passionate about or what they're interested in or where they want their life to go. But how do they find those people that are, they're going to be able to talk about the commonalities? I mean, I know that that's what, you know, when I started the podcast and when I started working on what I call my digital business, um, you know, most of the people I'm surrounded with, I'm a lawyer by background. So most of my friends are lawyers. My husband's in business and sports. And, you know, you start bringing those things up. And after five minutes, people are like, I don't, I'm not interested. (laughs) They don't know. So trying to create that community. And I find that's what a lot of other people struggle with. And so it's, you know, having some boldness, that's, you know, what my takeaway from that is, you know, being bold, asking for it, finding it and not sitting around and thinking that it's going to find you. Yeah. Can I throw one more thing out there? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting because if you put yourself in specific environments, you filter for the right type of person. And so when I think about the people that that I did grow and evolve with the most, they were either my most competitive friends growing up playing sports, or when I was in college, I ran my own house painting business for two summers with a group of other students. I mean, they each had their own business and All of those same people I'm still friends with today. We still talk about the same things. They all came to my wedding this year. Like we're all focused on entrepreneurship and personal development in similar ways. And so I think if you can get in a room like that and you you can filter for the right types of people by putting yourself in the right room, then yeah, magical things start to happen. And I started to realize that as I traveled internationally. So outside of books, international travel is like my second favorite thing on the planet. And so when my wife and I travel around, if we're in a different country and we're at a bar and we hear people that sound like they're from the US, there's a 98% chance that we'll be best friends with them within 10 minutes because we're, we're in that foreign country. We're not pitching travel from here. We're pitching travel from a place that we're already traveling in. And so instantly there's the connection, like we've automatically filtered for the right people. So if you go to a Grant Cardone 10X event, or if you go to a Lewis House Summit of Greatness, 
you're filtering for the right types of people and your chances of meeting somebody that sees the world through the same lens that you do is a little bit higher. Well, you also mentioned something else that uh, I think could be a good highlight for people. You mentioned, you know, like a conference, something that Grant Cardone or someone similar to that might be hosting. You mentioned Lewis Howes earlier. Do you think, because, you know, I've heard some criticism from people in going to summits and other in-person events, it's a lot of rah-rah and not a lot of meat and potatoes. Along the lines of what your book is that we're going to definitely get to, how do you synthesize that and have people say, you know, it takes a lot of time, there's that opportunity cost there, and then plus the actual money of attending the event, maybe there's travel. How do I maximize the return on my money? What else can I be doing besides attending the event and taking in the information? Well, I think we need, I I would say a couple of things. Number one, when I attend events like this, I'm never trying to learn from the people on stage. I'm always there to network. So I have a very different intention. I think when you bump into somebody at a conference, you need to know exactly why you're there and what you need help with. And you need to verbalize that right off the bat. So when I attend these events, I'll set a goal, a smart goal, something like find and schedule at least five virtual coffees with nonfiction authors by the end of the weekend or something like that, right? That's specific. It's measurable. It's attainable, meaning it's realistic. It's relevant to my business, so I'm emotionally connected to making it happen. And I give myself a deadline, right, by the end of the event. And so when I meet somebody in the hallway or on the way to or from the bathroom or out at dinner or whatever, I share my goal. Hey, I'm looking to find and schedule at least five virtual coffees with nonfiction authors. Do you know of any around? Oh yeah, my friend wrote a book, blah, blah, blah. Right, like give people the opportunity to help you. So I think a lot of times people show up and they're just generally excited about the speakers or they just want to take a bunch of notes. But very rarely uh, is that speaker going to share more than they did in their book, right? The book is a deeper dive than what they are capable of saying in 30 minutes on stage. So if you go to those, maybe shift your intention for something more networking related. Yeah. And for the person out there who may struggle with just walking up and talking to people, um, do you have one or two tips or tricks for people like that? Yes. Uh, There's a great book called The Introvert's Guide to Networking, I think is the name of it. The Introvert's Guide to Networking. And in that book, he gives a couple of tips like hang out near the bar. Oftentimes you'll see somebody, they'll grab a drink, they're by themselves, they're just begging for somebody to come up and talk to them and they get their drink and they just stand there by themselves. Like it's a great way to bump into people in line waiting for a drink. What are you going to grab? Like, let me buy you a drink. And it's a great place to start conversations. Or if you see somebody standing by yourself, remember that they feel just as awkward as you do. And you can sort of break that tension by walking up and just introducing yourself and compliment something. Hey, nice shirt. Or what are you drinking? Or, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. I went to a investment, um, day for startups. And I had the intention, like you said, what's your goal? My intention was to get a little bit more insights into what the investment atmosphere was, what the startup atmosphere in uh, Houston was, and um, maybe meet some people. Did not put a specific (laughs) goal to that because while I would consider myself an extrovert, I have a hard time talking to people on the street that are strangers. And I met and connected and continued a relationship forward with three or four other ladies, 
all because they came up and complimented me on something I was wearing and it just made it so easy. And once somebody gives me that opener, I can talk for days. I can find commonality. I can get it going. Um, so that's really interesting that you put that. And I definitely wrote that down um, because I think those are great feedback. I just want to pause and say thank you to all the amazing people tuning in and making this show a success. And to share some exciting scoop, I am opening up for the first time ever one-on-one coaching. We have two options available, the Executive Edge two-week program and the Career Catalyst six-week program, which will use my proprietary Earn It framework. If you're ready to propel your professional journey, crush your salary goals, or need someone to coach you through a big career decision, let's conquer it together. Limited spots for unlimited empowerment. Links to sign up will be in the show notes and in the link tree on my Instagram and LinkedIn site. See you there. So shifting gear to Rise of the Reader, which is your book that is coming out, Tell us a little bit about why you came up with this book. What do you think is the most powerful takeaway? And I have some other specific questions, but I wanted to get your thoughts first. Well, as I started to read and consume information, I realized that my implementation strategies were changing and growing over time. So that was kind of clue number one for writing the book, was that there was a difference between what I started doing at 20 and what I'm doing today, 10 years later. Clue number two, I mean, over the years of building my community, I've received the same sets of questions hundreds of times. How do I choose the right book? How do I set a goal for the book? How do I take great notes? Any speed reading techniques? How do I retain more? How do I implement more? Better action. And listen, I'm of service. I care about impact. I answer every single one of those questions. But I felt like I was underserving the people that I was intending to serve because If somebody shot me a message on Instagram DMs, like, I can't type out that much. I'm limited by a one-minute voice note. Maybe I jump on a quick Zoom call, but that's one-to-one. Like, I'm not really helping that person that much. So I decided I'm going to write a book on this subject. There was a little bit of imposter syndrome when I first started because I thought, am I, you know, the average age of the people that I'm reading, right, the authors that I'm reading is far older than I am. Like, should I wait a little bit more? Should I should I let my business grow a little bit more? But then again, I realized that as long as you have value to provide somebody who's one or two steps behind where you are today, then go for it. Be of value. Be of service to that group of people. And so I had hundreds of people that I knew would be a good fit for the information that I wanted to write about. And it was a really tough process at first because I thought, like, I don't know... I don't know how to build a book. I I mean, I promote and market them. I read them all the time, but I don't know how to build a book. And I don't know how to define my own strategies and get something in my head or my own behavior onto paper. And that took me a couple of years. I had to almost observe my own behavior from a third-party perspective for a little while and look at what the heck does Nick Hutchison do to implement information. So I will, yeah, I I mean, the book has dozens of strategies for each one of those things, but I'll give an example. What's my best strategy? Well, I'll take the conference example and I'll turn it to a book. So oftentimes I'll meet somebody and I'll say, hey, what are you reading? Crystal, what are you reading? And then you'll tell me and I'll say, why? And you'll be like, what do you mean why? (laughs) I saw it on Instagram or, you know, whatever the case is. I think we need to read with intention and we need to set a smart goal for each book that we read. There's a popular 
business book that people are reading right now that your audience might be familiar with called Hundred Million Dollar Leads by Alex Hormozzi. It's a book on lead generation for businesses. And I mean, listen, amazing book, but most people are just reading it with the hopes that it's going to change their life. They're just reading, they're willing to take notes on anything, they get excited by every other line in the book. And as a result, there's too much to implement and they fail to do anything. Instead, set a smart goal. So something like find and implement at least two lead generation strategies for my business by the end of October. So that is specific, it's measurable, find and implement at least two things. It's attainable, not make $100 million by the end of the month, but just find and implement two lead generation strategies. It's relevant, so it's emotionally connected because frankly, like my business, for instance, stinks at lead generation and lead generation leads to more money and that's always the goal of business. Not always, but it's one of them. And then time bound by the end of October. And so once you define your intention for the book, that SMART goal, write it on the inside cover. Like literally hand write it on the inside cover and then read it every single time you're going to read a few more pages so that you can tell your brain what to filter for within the book. It's kind of like attending a conference and and not putting a filter on. You'll take notes on literally everything that people say on stage. But if your goal was something like find and implement at least two communication strategies that I can use next time I give a speech, you'll filter for just those, you know, just those communication strategies. But I, I love that. Yeah. So yeah, make sure you put it on the inside cover. And again, your brain will filter for uh, ways to support your goal. It's almost like sharing your goal with the book so that it can share just the specific information that you can use to fulfill your goal back with you. Yeah. And, you you know, I'll tie that also to a question I get all the time is, you know, people come and ask me, should I go to law school? You know, like everybody that knows that I, I'm not a practicing lawyer, obviously. Um, but everybody knows that I was a lawyer at one time or licensed, whatever, and always ask, you know, so-and-so is going to law school, what would you say to them? And think about what your goal is. That's exactly what I tell them for the same reasons. But relevant to this conversation, one thing that I think law school taught me to do really, 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 really well that has served me in every aspect of my life is how to pull out the key pieces of information. I did really well at undergrad, but I could have graduated summa cum laude if I knew how to distill information in the way that I learned from law school, which is very similar to what your intention is with this, is how to you synthesize the right amount of information that is relevant to you without overwhelming yourself um, and let go of the other pieces that don't matter because inevitably there's always pieces that don't matter. I remember reading Thinking Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill for the first time, and I had over 100 notes. That's not realistic action. <laughs> you can't implement 100 separate things, or you can't retain 100 separate things from a book. But two or three things with intention would have been far easier to implement and retain. And as a result, by simplifying, I would have actually gotten more from the book, doing more with less. So yeah, it's all about identifying exactly what you want from the book, exactly what pain you want to solve or skill that you want to develop, tool that you want to implement, and then forget everything else. Yeah. And now that you say that, I think about um, a podcast I just listened to the other day with Ed Millett, and then thinking back to the the book, um, Rich Dad, the Poor Dad. Oh, Rich Dad, yeah. Um, and in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he repeats key information like in a structural way 
throughout the book in almost every chapter. And in Ed Millett's, um, like a solo episode he did the other day, he repeated the key takeaway that he wanted people to have over and over and over again. That's the similar thing that we're doing and we're trying to filter for ourselves when you're saying, write your goal on there. So everything you know, has that lens. Um, and that lends itself to one of the other questions I had is, do you think note-taking is essential? Because some people seem to not take any notes. I, I do think it's very important, maybe essential. I, I wouldn't say essential, but I do think it's very important. Here's where I think most people get hung up. I view reading and note-taking as two completely separate activities, and they should be treated as separate activities. We should block out separate blocks of time for them. We want to avoid multitasking and task switching between reading, note-taking, note-taking, back to reading, because you'll never get into a state of flow. And as a result, you'll be pretty slow at reading and implementing books. So my recommendation would be define your intention and as you're reading, if you think something might fulfill that intention, like if I'm reading $100 million leads by Alex Hormozzi, I'm looking for those two lead generation mechanisms. Oh, I think this might be one. Quickly highlight it, make a note in the book, and then continue reading. Once you're finished with the book, what I recommend doing is going back through a second time, but only rereading the things that you've highlighted that might fulfill your intention. And just like you're saying with Ed repeating things or Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad repeating things, repetition does lead to retention. We're forming a stronger relationship to the information. So now you're rereading just the 5% of information that might lead to 95% of the change, right? So you're, you're strengthening your information to the most important things in there. I recommend then just taking notes on, on the most important information. So that's, I think, taking notes on everything that's definitely not essential. But rewriting your favorite takeaways from the most important things in the book, I do think that's essential. And let's just kind of finish out this example. Let's say that you found 10 different potential actions to take, right? 10 different lead mechanisms that you could implement in your business. Here's the thing. Not all of them are created equal. Not every action is created equal. 20% of those takeaways will probably lead to 80% of the change that you're looking for. Implementing two of the 10 things, that's manageable, that's attainable, that's realistic. And they're probably the two most important things. So that's my process. I mean, it's it's not perfect, but it does minimize note-taking, separates reading and note-taking. And then at the very end, you're only taking notes on the most important things. So this might be a hard question for you to answer. And if you have multiple answers, that's okay, because I'm a little bit the same way. But if you had to say, besides your own book, what is your favorite personal development book? Which would it be? I do have so many different favorites. Even though favorite <laughs> is a singular is a singular word, uh, the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss has created the most lifestyle change for me. I love that book. Uh, inside of the four-hour work week, Tim teaches you how to build a remote business that's location independent, where you're only focused on the highest leveraged activities, and you've automated, delegated, or eliminated the rest. And so my agency today, we have 10 people on the team, and what I've been able to do over time is audit my calendar and automate, eliminate, or delegate anything that's neutral or sucks my energy. I only do things that bring me energy now. And it's it's because of that book that I've been able to build the business that I have today. 
That book also taught me uh, that reality is negotiable and you can design something that's uniquely fulfilling to you. Talking about different types of lifestyle choices or businesses like building a book Instagram and then marketing agency on the back of it wasn't part of the traditional nine to five kind of scope that was set out by my college professors, right? So uh, thank, thank you, Tim Ferriss, for writing The 4-Hour Workweek. That's been the best book for me. What about you? What's your favorite personal development book of all time? I mean, it's really, really hard for me to say because I I don't know how many books I've read. I don't keep track, but I've read a lot of books. I've been a reader my entire life. Um, but I will say I only recently in the last 18 months read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's why it came to my mind. And I just think it's so simple and it was unexpected. I mean, I've listened to his many podcasts that he's done and different stuff that he's done and tracked him, but I wasn't clear until I read the book about what the book really would be about. So it was kind of surprising to me just in the simplicity of it. And I thought this is pretty foundational for a person that is 20, 21, 22, 23, and wants to have a different lifestyle than just a corporate job. So I think that from a personal development standpoint. Um, and then I read a lot of fiction also, so I couldn't even begin to tell you on fiction books. Um, but I vacillate back and forth um, between those. Rich Dad, Poor Dad's amazing. That was the first book that I read. So when I really? went to that local Barnes & Noble bookstore and I grabbed 10 books uh, and I said, the rest is history, that that was the first book that I read. And I mean, in, in that book, I think there's a number of reasons why it's everybody's favorite. I think, number one, it's only about 200 pages long with pretty reasonable sized text. Number two, it's so basic, but there are so many aha moments because we're not taught about money in the public education system in the US. And so we're typically not taught at home either. But if we are taught at home and you grow up in a poor middle-class family, like he says, you learn poor or middle-class money habits. So if you want to learn from a rich person like Robert Kiyosaki, that's a great place to start. And I learned, I mean, money works for you and all about being an investor and business owner and entrepreneur. And I mean, everything in there was just so transformational for me. So yeah, I really love that book too. Yeah. And I did have one to follow up on, on the four hour work week, um, because I love Tim Ferriss too. And I think that's a great book. Uh, there is also a lot of negativity apparently surrounding that book. Like when you start diving in, cause I'm one that gets on Reddit and I start reading stuff and I look for other things when I'm really into a book. Um, and it seems like, you know, some people are just very, you know, I don't know, negative towards the book. What do you, what is your takeaway of that? The negativity surrounding it. Well, a lot of people say that book is impossible to implement and that he's setting unrealistic expectations. It's one of those ideas that you can't actually work four hours. But for me, uh, it changed everything, and I implemented everything from the book. So I can I can sit here and say that. Uh, if people are making excuses, saying that it's not realistic to implement it and that kind of thing, they're just not working hard enough at it. Um, it is over 10 years old now. So I think some of the criticism is around some of the links in the book are outdated and some of the formats in the book are outdated. I know there's also some criticism around a line that, that he uses in the book where he says, earn in dollars, spend in pesos, meaning live in a Central or South American country where you get more for your dollar, and then compensate in rupees, which is the Indian currency. So he's saying, outsource your work to people who are willing to accept less for it. And uh, I've, I've personally found that when delegating information 
or when delegating tasks, everything is relative. Compensation is relative. You can pay less than what it would cost to do work here to somebody, but pay them more than their average income would be in their country. And like, there's a lot of very strange skepticism around that. You can overpay somebody while also underpaying at the same time. And it's kind of like a win-win situation. So I don't know. I I really do enjoy that book. I I look up to Tim a lot, and that book changed everything for me. I mean, I am a result of the four hour work week methodologies. Yeah, and I I mean I agree with you. Um, I think when you talk about four hour work week, obviously you're trying to put out a title that's going to hook and catch people. Um, and so maybe you work eight hours. Okay, people, let's not be so literal. You know, I, uh, yeah. I just think that's, you know, but I agree there are tenants in there that are so practical that you can. Um, and when you feel so negative about it, it's usually because you don't, you have a belief system that's limiting you from seeing the ability to do that and reach that. Well, I had two more questions about your book. So you talked about at the very beginning, um, you know, you have an opening section about your guiding principles in life. Can you share those with us and how you synthesize to that as your guiding principles? Yes. Uh, that The second one in there, reality is negotiable, reality is limitless. So reality is no negotiable is actually a line from the 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. <laughs> so we're back to that book again. Um, that... You know, as a young 20-something reading that book, working a traditional nine to five who wanted to build a business but didn't really know how, there was a lot of pushback from society, from friends and from family, people who say, no, just continue up the corporate ladder and work the traditional nine to five. And Tim saying reality is negotiable was that constant reminder that I could build something that was uniquely fulfilling to me. And that's why I think it's such an important lesson is like you have to remove your limiting beliefs as you step into this world of personal development because they don't help you. Uh, Jim Quick, who wrote a book called Limitless, he says, I am are the two most powerful words in the ling- in the English language. And so you need to sort of shed those limiting beliefs. Like I am a corporate nine to five person. I am not an entrepreneur. Like you have to remove those limiting beliefs, step into this space of like reality is negotiable. I can design whatever I want and put that language out there. Robert Kiyosaki talks about the same thing in Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He says, instead of saying, I can't afford this, you ask, how can I afford this? That's a totally different perspective and set of energy that you're putting out into the world. So that's the second one. The first one is the right book at the right time can change your life. And it's a message that I've continued to put out there because I've had millions, hundreds of millions of impressions with the book thinkers content. And as a result, thousands of people have shared their success stories about a book that we've recommended. They've read it, implemented it, and it's changed their life. And so I do believe there's a book to solve almost any problem. Um, At the risk of jumping on a rant, I'll just finish off with this one statement, which is that so many of us think that the problems we're facing are unique to us, but the reality is that they're not. About 100 billion people have lived before us. Millions of them have documented their entire life experience in the form of a book. And thousands of those books are probably relevant to the same problem that you think is unique to you. They've condensed decades of lived experience 
and about how they overcame that same problem you're facing into a book that you can purchase for $20. You can read it in a few hours of your time and you can remove that problem. Uh, I've heard Jordan Peterson say it this way. He said, if you're facing a problem on a daily basis over the next 30 years, so 365 times 30, you'll face that problem 11,000 times. So do the work, remove the problem. Other people have done the hard work. You just need to read about how they overcame it and apply their solution to your problem. And then it's gone. You don't have to deal with it for the next 30 years. So that's uh, the first one. <laughs> I, I mean, I love it. I really got chills thinking about that. Uh, because it's just so, so, so true. Um, and when you talk about taking away the limitations and and saying, and that's really what, you know, my intention even starting this podcast was, uh, you know, so many people are like, why are you doing that? Why would you waste your time? You know, who are you going to reach? But it was so I could help women see that you can do anything. You can be anything. You can change your reality. Um, and to the end commentary from uh, Jordan Peterson, yeah, and you just have to start doing and stop thinking. And we can implement, you know, these small takeaways, these bite-sized actions and, you know, live the life that we want to be living. And that leads very well into my last point about your book that I wanted to highlight. Um, you know, the last section after the conclusion is healthy, wealthy, and happy. And this is what my personal kind of life motto, things that I love to talk about endlessly with people. Um, so tell me how you implemented this, these pieces as the last piece of the pie to your book, because I just think, you know, it puts everything in perspective, but I would like to know your reasoning why. Well, at, at first, we can think a little bit more about the four-hour work week here. Like the main criticism of that book is that it's not realistic. You can't implement it. These techniques don't work. Tim, you're just making all of this up. You got lucky, right? And that same criticism happens with a lot of books. And so I wanted, I didn't want to write a book just on implementation techniques and say, hey, I have this beautiful like set of routines and stuff, but not share any examples with people. I wanted to document my experience implementing over a hundred things from the books I've read. So that's why I decided to do it. You know, at one point I even just wanted to write the book about habits, sort, sort of in style of a book called The Daily Stoic, which is just one page a day that you read. So yeah. And then I started thinking about like, how are these habits grouped? And they are healthy, wealthy, or happy. Those are kind of the three buckets that I decided to, to, to choose for the book. So yeah, in the book, I share my experience implementing something in, in over a hundred different areas of my life. And uh, there's a lot of fun things in there. So I think some of them are kind of standard, but we need to pay attention to them and reinforce them, go back to the basics, like drinking more water. But then some of them are new and fun and different. And I've created them essentially from scratch, such as like my gratitude time capsule practice and things like that. So that's why I decided to put them in there. Well, I love it because I think, you know, we're always so focused on externalities, like what can I get? What material things? What kind of car am I going to, you know, I, I, I often think back to going to Africa and, you know, one of the tour guides we had told us about, um, a guy that worked for him in his house and I'll say house boy, that's what they say. It's not a demeaning thing. That's literally what they call their, you know, uh, just a personal worker that takes care of their house for them mm -hmm. and how they would often, you know, stay living in their, you know, slum area 
but have the biggest, best new TV because people could see it. And when people came to visit, that's what they could see. We all want these material things that others can see because they're easy to identify and have this, you know, signal that we're successful. But at the end of the day, what we really are looking for and seeking is happiness. So that should be the catalyst. That should be the driver for everything. And how can we not have that? How can we have happiness if we don't have health? And I don't necessarily think we need wealth, but I think most people that are talking to you or I reading these kind of books, personal development, they all go together. So I always think of and talk about the same one. So when I really saw that and started reading that, I just loved it and knew that that was one of the things I had to ask you about because I think that brings it back to reality. We we overlook some of these key factors um, in the broader spectrum of what we are seeking to achieve. Um, and so I just really love that, especially happiness. I mean, I'm just... I wrap everything that I want to talk to people about in happiness because at the end of the day, that is really what our goal should be. I want to do this so I can be happier. Um, And to some degree on a baseline, you know, having more money can lead to more happiness. Um, So with that in mind, wrapping this up, I would say, what are your parting thoughts? What is the best, you know, motivational time capsule 30 seconds, 45 seconds that you would give to somebody. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. That's one of my favorite Chinese proverbs. So start reading these books. Uh, If you're deliberately choosing not to use this skill that you spent 10 years developing as a kid, right? And you're not reading and implementing personal development books, you're being a disservice to the people around you. The best version of yourself is reading and implementing information from the world's healthiest, healthiest, wealthiest, and happiest people. So you may as well be of service to your future self and to the people around you by reading and implementing these books. Just like you said, life does not have to be so hard. You can optimize for happiness and enjoying the passage of time. Do more of what you enjoy and less of what you don't enjoy. And all of that can happen by reading these books. Like I I genuinely believe that. I've seen it happen thousands of times. So those are my parting words. That's awesome. So tell us where else we can find the book um, and where all people can find you. Well, if anybody wants a custom book recommendation from me, it's one of my favorite things to do for people, like play this book matchmaker role. So you can DM me at bookthinkers on Instagram. We do answer every single DM. Sometimes it takes a few days. Um, But tell me about a problem in your life that you'd like to overcome or tell me about a skill that you'd like to develop to get closer to where you know you should be in life. I'll probably ask some follow-up questions, but I will provide a book recommendation and act as your accountability partner and follow up in 30 or 60 days to see if you've read the book. So that's where you can connect with me. And then from there, there's links in the bio to the book and everything else. That's awesome. I have loved talking to you. I loved reading the book. I love everything that you have to do on Book Thinkers. Honestly, um, I hope I'm on there one day sharing my book and it's just been wonderful. Thank you for feeding into our audience, for giving back and for taking the time to give back to everyone in your audience through this book. Uh, And for everyone else out there, I hope this has brought you a lot of value, a lot of meaning. Remember, you are made for more. Start acting like it today. Continue to get clear on what it is you want and how you're going to get get there. I know that you can be and do anything and live the life. As Nick said, 
The possibilities are truly limitless. He knows it, I know it, and we want you to know it too. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to create a career you love, get the salary you deserve, and build the confidence to live life on your own terms, sign up for my free newsletter where you'll get actionable tips to raise your worth, build your wealth, create freedom, and create a life you absolutely love. Head over to crystalwaremedia.com to sign up or click the link in the show notes and join thousands of others making their dreams a reality. Whether you're just embarking on the journey or well on your way, the Worthful newsletter has something for you. See you next week.